Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Fail with Fire. I am Phoenix, your podcast host and also CEO of AdBeacon, our first party data attribution and optimization platform, my personal favorite, of course. And today we're joined by Jimmy, Jimmy Kim. This guy is a legend in my eyes because he's the CEO of Sendlane. He also has just really come up and I've been hearing his name in the space more and more. We got to speak at a couple events and the number one thing that really grabbed my attention was not all the crazy accolades. It was more so who he is and like the spiciness. I would say, hey, like we don't need to put up like a front at all. We could just be cool and talk. And that really resonated with me. But alongside that personality trait. He's just a badass. So welcome to the pod, Jimmy. Welcome. Well, thanks, Phoenix, for that introduction. Very, uh, very humbling. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, you know, what's funny is this is my opportunity to kind of open my heart to show people like how I view them. People that I absolutely, truly see as not only good people, but also have great stories I want to bring here. Let me kind of give the, the official intro. Jimmy is a former e-commerce retailer and email marketer turned SaaS founder. Hey, we love a SaaS founder. Located in San Diego, California. You're the CEO and founder of Sendlane, an email, SMS, and reviews marketing automation company that helps over 1,700 companies save time, generate more revenue, and increase customer retention with email and SMS. He leverages his expertise and marketing knowledge to build a product designed for the data-driven digital retailer, enabling them to make better decisions for their marketing. You know, what I also think is interesting, and and I asked what the difference was between you and your competitors, the way you laid out your feature set just made sense to me. And I think that's what it really deduces down to. Does it make sense? And if it does, it unlocks so much. So congratulations to you and the Sunlane team and welcome to the pod. We're honored to have you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and give my spicy takes and talk about all the things that we can talk about to tell about, I mean, I mean, it's called failing with fire. I'm excited about it because I've failed a million times, a thousand ways, and I touch the fire quite often and I still fail every day. And I think it's, it's important, I think, as other people listen to this, know that failure is okay. It's all learning. It's all the most best ways that humans grow. And that's always an exciting thing. So I love the title that you have on the pod and uh, I'm excited to hear share. Yeah, no, we're stoked to have you. Not going to lie, I've had two... Asians on the podcast. One was Dang, who oh, love him. We started speaking Cantonese on here, and then we've got you on here. We're not exactly the same, right? Because you're Korean and I'm Chinese. However, however, no one needs to know that until now. So we're good. We're basically siblings. We are family. Actually, my uncle's name. Same, is same. I think I've met you multiple times. I don't know. I just it's a blur until you actually have a conversation. I met you at Geek X or Geek Out, LA started talking. I was like two breezes in hand, double fisting it and drinking it, pretending that I'm not trying to just relax. And because I was coming from the airport and like going like, oh, Jimmy, hi, I know you. And we start talking and um, I just to see the momentum. And I thought, you know, this is the right person to talk about failures, even though I don't even know any specific failures for you. And often we have these really great conversations not recorded. And I'm like, shit, we need to record these. I think people would benefit from them. But You know, the premise of Fail with Fire, this podcast, is to talk about failures because they're often the catalysts doing extraordinary moments in our lives and also teach us some things that we can take back with us and look back and laugh and go, yeah. And what that also does is build a callus around us where when these things happen again, we're not as reactionary in terms of panic. We have a peace, right? And that fire fuels so much more. So if you could do us the honor, Jimmy, kind of walk us through a failure, whether it be personal, financial, whatever it may be, and walk us through how you got out of it and and the fire behind it. Oof. All right. I'm going to give you some optionality because I have so many damn things that I failed at. We can jump into everything. All right. So we could jump into as early days as the hardest things that I had to do from parting ways with a co-founder to we could talk about failures in hiring teams and burning millions of dollars. I can talk about failures in sales teams. I can talk about failures of market fit. I can tell you about failure. I mean, you tell me what you want to hear about. You're the SaaS founder on the other end. I think it's really interesting because I'm sure all of those resonate at some level. And I would love to tell you about any of those stories and uh, how we ended up overcoming all of them over time and learning from a lot of those. 
So yeah, you're giving me options. I love it. Dee did something similar. Yeah. Give me like choose your own adventure style. <laughs> yeah, choose your adventure because we can talk about all the failures. We can talk about how we failed this week, or we could talk about how we failed in the big picture. I mean, there's so many. Yeah, I know it's great, there. and it's kind of like a working sesh for us because like I'm sass and baby sass in comparison to where Semlin is right now, and I'm so so in awe of what you guys have done. So yeah, I'll absorb any knowledge from these failures. I think I will choose first adventure would be failure and market fit. And then I think also, mm-hmm. too, when you did get funding and spending all this, you know, in the wrong places and what you learned from that would be really fascinating to learn because all of us here, right, when we have a startup, we were like, oh, shit, people want to invest in us. And like, I just want to let you know, the minute you build something that kind of grabs someone's attention or builds momentum, your inbox is going to flood with, hey, I'm kind of interested. I would love to talk to you about investment. And you're going to get really excited about it. And then if you're, you know, blessed enough to get that, the the mountain that it comes with that you're dragging with 100 yeah let's talk about it all right let's go let's go back to uh finding product market fit and funding and all that stuff at the same time and i think it all works out really well so part of our story was very much in that you know we start i started this thing in 2017 and i knew the first thing i needed to do was make sales that's easy for me i go make sales get people to buy our product that's what we did and that was easy the next part of that journey that was probably the most difficult things I've had to do is go raise money, right? Going and raise money. Didn't know how to raise money. Never raised money in my life. My first two businesses were bootstrapped. And I did it the way that I kind of understood, which is you just knock on a shit ton of doors, essentially, right? So I actually had this old infographic. I don't know where it is, but basically it's somewhere like these numbers. It's basically like I had reached out to 2,500 VCs. I, I know you say like people knock on the doors, but like I was knocking on every door. I took like 400 first meetings on my seed round and I ended up meeting 120 people in person, had like all these different meetings and ended up getting a couple term sheets. But the biggest learning I took from there, and you said it, you take the the inbound side too much as a, oh man, everyone wants to invest in me. Everyone's interested in me. And what I learned was there's a lot of things that I learned in, in that process. One, I'll tell you the first thing. Anyone who wants to invest in you, you will know, and it's a different experience. And what I mean by that is very simple. They don't ask for data. They don't ask for this and that. They don't ask you to clarify 17 other things. You have what I often say is a term sheet in your hand within 24 hours, essentially, in most cases, right? And the thing that we, in early days that I failed at understanding was that raising money is actually just a sales process. It's no different. You have a pipeline, you have a funnel, you have investors that you're talking to. If they've shown interest and intent, you're moving them down the funnel. In fact, I'll talk about that in a second. When I got to my Series A, I I actually changed the entire way that I went and raised, and it made my life so easy at that point. So uh, I learned a lot there, and uh, the premise there was go get money so we can build this new platform. So I did. I, I took this money in. I took $3 million in, and I said, okay, I'm going to start building this platform. And that was the idea. And the platform started building, and I looked around the market, and I said, hey, everyone else is hiring these big teams. They're hiring all these go-to-market teams. I need a sales team. I need a marketing team. I need to go hire all these people. And I did that. I initially went and blew a bunch of money, essentially, and hired all these people. I hired a four or five person sales team. I hired a bunch of marketing people. We started running ads. But I forgot one thing. I forgot that early days when I was selling myself to a product, I knew the grouping of people that I was trying to sell to. And I knew exactly who my product fit for. And I was using my network, not actual advertising or anything else. I was using my network to get that initial group of customers in. As I went into and tried to scale this thing, the first failure I would say that I learned was when I was spending money was that just because you have the money does not mean you have market fit. And what I mean by that is very simple. I, my product was not ready. It was not ready. We're way behind. We had so many deficiencies and getting into these calls, all it did was set up disappointment. And uh, essentially, if we converted a customer and got someone happy and excited, most of them would bounce out on us within you know, a couple months because it wasn't working because we weren't ready. So my failure was not understanding where I was and being truthful and honest with myself and looking at the system without this. I live in a pure bubble of optimism. That's what I talked about myself. If anyone in my team will tell you, like, the, the company's falling. We have no money to make a paycheck, but I'm going to sit up there and smile. And I'm going to say, we're going to fucking do it because that's all we can do. There is no option or other option, right? So that was the same thing I did then. And I ended up burning a bunch of money. So the story goes in 2018, I raised $3 million. I burned most of it in the first uh, 2019 part of it because I was stupid about it. And then I, end of 2019, I had to actually make the realization and say, dude, this is stupid. You burned a lot of money and we made no traction and we wasted a ton of money. 
And you're going to do have to do the first hardest thing. And this is the first time I had to ever do this. I need to go lay off like 18 people in the company. And I'm like, and I need to slim down the company, right? And it was such a hard decision-making process to understand that. But hindsight was really interesting. I, I cut it all down. I said, you know what? If I'm going to do it. I only get one shot. So we're going to do it right. And we're going to do it big. And so, you know, this is the failure moment that most founders really fail at. Why you hear about layoffs that happen one month and then three months later to have another layoff is because they didn't cut deep enough. And at that time, my mentor at the time was like, dude, I'm going to tell you something you're going to hate to hear. Whatever you think you're going to cut, cut 1.5 X that. And I was like, why? He's like, because you're never going to cut deep enough. You're always going to have an emotional attachment. What if this guy, what if that guy has potential? What if, right? So I made that decision in 2019. It was October and I, I cut my sales team. I cut a lot of marketing people. I cut a bunch of CS people. I cut some engineers. I cut everybody because I realized there was only one thing I could do with no more money potentially coming because I was unable to get my seed round going. I knew that I was limited in a number of things and I needed to go essentially take it back to 2017, go sell, go become part of, uh, become, become of the sales process, redefine it, figure it out. And that's also when I also started to be smarter by my own education and started reading more. And I ran into guys like Jason at Saster and different people. And I started reading about it. And I was like, man, all the things he talks about, I literally could have just read your blog and probably not done a lot of the things I did. But again, as a founder who thinks who, you know, had success in my past lives with my previous businesses, I thought I could do more. Right. So I went off and did that. So that was my first failure in that point. Yeah, I said, I want to wait. I want to talk about this failure first before you tell me about the good stuff, because you know, the good stuff of how you came out of it or the next failure, because you said so many incredible things that I think we should digest really quickly, if you don't mind. OK, sure. Awesome. Number one is you get this money, right? I'm just putting everybody in this headspace. I think it's also nice to just breathe in it and go, OK, I get all this money. Three million dollars. Holy shit. That's a lot of money. And you know, as we get bigger, people are numb to this number, right? And on Twitter, everyone's tweeting that they made a million dollars this month, right? It's not your money. Most of the time, it's usually your client's money. And there's a lot of money that went into it. And there's cogs. There's a lot. There's a lot that yep. goes behind that million net, right? Let's just talk about that. And then you get this money. You're like, how do I allocate this? And Jimmy, when I was 23, I was the marketing director for Super Footwear. And they handed me this budget. And it was like in the millions. They're like, where do you want to put it? And I'm like, I don't know where the fuck to put it. Like, I don't know. And you're trying to figure it all out and you're saying, okay, you spent it in the areas that you think made the most sense. You want to grow the team. And, and I had a very similar mindset. You want to put this in there. Then everything you realize, all that matters is traction because that's all you need to validate why you're spending money on these people. And you want the best of the best, right? The idea is you're always going to hire the best of the best because then you're going to get the best results. It takes me back to this mentality of hiring an agency. A lot of the time these incredible companies, brands, will build their momentum beautifully the way that they did because of a Jimmy type. And then they'll go, I need to take it to the next level. So I need to hire an agency. Often you have to sift through the agencies. They always talk about growth. You sit with an agency and then you find out actually we're not growing. Then they pull back the agency. They cut like you did and they have to rebuild. That's not saying agencies aren't great. Like I come from agency and I really loved our agency. I'm just saying you have to find the right people that align with your needs and have just as much skin in the game. But the fact that you had to deeply cut, how did you feel after feeling super high that you got all this money? You did take the 400 meetings to the 100 in-person meetings. You got the term sheets. You got the money in hand. And now you have to cut and virtually go, is this worth it? With your optimism. Yeah. Just let's talk about that. So, before we end yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I... I'll carry this story out. I think uh, I think this is actually perfect to carry this story forward. So you're completely right. So I, I went from feeling high and excited and bubbling down really fast and realizing I still remember the meeting that I had to do it was October or September of 20, uh, 2019. And I was sitting there and it's just me. And I think I had one of my uh, I think I had just hired a C guy, a C, or my CTO just started. So we really didn't have a connection. I had one of my early employees sitting there with me and she was sitting there and I was like, I can't do this. We have to pull back. It's, it's the only answer we have. It's either we do this or we just die. That was literally the only two options. We had enough revenue that I knew that I can pull back and go basically a bootstrap mind on it so that I don't run out of money and keep the lights on. But at the same time, I knew, and it was, it was the worst feeling in my life. Like it was not a comfortable feeling to have to make this decision. And it's even worse when you have to talk to the people. I'll tell you, like, you know, firing people when they deserve it is 
is not that hard for me. But when they don't deserve it and I feel like I failed as a leader and being able to support them and give them the path for them, I felt mm. bad. And you know what's cool is some of those people that I hired went off to be CROs, number one sales. I felt even worse as I watched them go do that because I knew I hired the right people. I just didn't give them the right platform ultimately, right? So the story continues and I'll, I'll explain it. So 2020, it's me, uh, my VP of sales now, but back then he was just the AE, back-to-back dialing, calling, and we started getting this thing cranking, right? We found a way to start selling. We found some referrals. We started making money. Our new platform was almost on the horizon. It was coming to launch. And in 2021, we, we were getting closer and we launched this platform, this new platform, and we started getting even more traction. And so we're like stoked, right? And so I go out and raise my Series A. And this time, and I'll talk about this real quick and then we'll jump into it because the failure shows up again. But I went <laughs> off and a little bit of self-advice, but like I set up a HubSpot account. I put everybody in my pipeline. I set up automations, task reminders. I literally organized the living crap out of myself. And it was the best raise in my life. I raised in less than 60 days. I raised $20 million. I had a ton, uh, ton of interest. I had a bunch of different term sheets and it was really just a great experience. And that was great. I had to find my pitch. We can get into that in a little bit. But now my next failure starts. So 2021 and just all this money. What do I do, Phoenix? Well, I have early traction. I must be doing something right. Let me go and hire some more people again. So literally, I touched the same stupid fire. But this time, I did it even worse in different ways because I went and hired the... Look, there's one thing I really get as hiring people. I hired... Everyone I hired in my list had at least $1 billion exit. And I was like, I need people with billion dollar exits because I want a billion dollar exit. Obviously, that's what you want to hire. So I want to hire the sales leader. I hired this partnership guy. I, I hired the crack team of partnerships. I hired this and that. And I learned again the failure of understanding what product market fit means. I literally didn't understand. Just because I can call someone, convince them to make a purchase me, I thought everyone could do that within the company. No. They can't do that. They don't understand it the same way. There's a different level of experience that comes with it. And we literally hired this sales team and we hired this partnership team. We started burning money up the wazoo again. And we started to go out there. And then the next failure point, obviously, be sitting back and going, shit, I'm doing it again. I need to stop. So I had to make the next cut, right? So this is, I'm talking 2022. Um, I looked at 2022 as May. I burned a couple million dollars at this point. The sales team thing wasn't working. The partnership team one thing wasn't working. And I, and I was like, well, I got to do it again. Now, this time it didn't feel as bad the first time, but it still felt terrible again. I didn't feel bad at some people because they deserved it, in my opinion. But some of those people didn't deserve it. There were some great people in there. And I ultimately had to make them pull the trigger again. And this time again, I had to make a huge cut. It was like a 25% cut. I had to pull back. I had to Basically, all the people I hired and I thought was super smart, I did it and I've touched a fire. I burned myself again into early 2022 and uh, I had to let him go. So there I go. I let him go. Realized I still didn't have product market fit. All right. So the story continues. I'm going to tell you how this I failed. I touched That's the same so fire again. I'm, again. I'm like all so, right? so in it. <laughs> Yeah. So 2022, in the beginning of 2022, we're like, all right, let's step back. We figured it out. It's not working. We're going to cut, but we still have plenty of money. We can still make this work. Aha, we know what it is. I see my competitors. They do this outbound sales thing. We clearly need to create an outbound engine and hire the sales team to do outbound. So I went off. I found a great leader to come into the company, teach us outbound, set up a structure, hire four people. And it was working. It was duplicating. It was working. It was repeating. And we're like, whoa, finally, it's finally working, right? And so I started going, all right, let's scale this thing because I, I have a problem. I like to scale things when I see things work. I mean, I guess that's probably, probably what I'm, why I'm here at today. So I pushed the pedal to the metal. We hire eight more people. We bring them to the BDR program and you know, things are working and they're scaling somewhat. And it seems on the outside that things are working. And so we keep pushing. And then you know, I think it was about September, October of 2022. So not that long ago at this point. And we're like, wow, this program is working. Company's finally growing. We obviously have product market fit. People are buying our product. We're having conversion rates. And then, uh, and then we uh, decided to even hammer down more. This is, again, 2023. And as we enter into 2023, we go hire more BDRs and salespeople because we're like, well, shit, we just got to dial more people if we get more people in. This is my failure point here as a leader where I, did, where I got really narrow-minded. Something was working finally after those two points of pain and failure that I had to pass. I was like, 
This is it. We finally figured out blinders on. Let's go. Well, the blinders that I didn't realize was that product market fit was a different thing that I understood than what it was actually occurring. What was occurring was people were saying, yes, they're buying the product. Most of them were being successful at that time. So I assumed that that meant I had product market fit. But what I realized really quickly was when I started to peel back the layers and you're a data person, so you get this, but I started tracking attribution and started to do a deep dive. Wasn't about attribution around the phone call. I started thinking about where did the lead front come from? Where did the places come from? What multi-touch points were occurring? And quickly I realized there was a really big thing happening where there was this marketing bubble and there was this, what we call the outbound bubble. The outbound bubble was not increasing growing. The ACVs were frozen and we were just kind of repeating a little bit of things. But at the CAC level, which is the, you know, the amount of payback time that someone will have, was incredibly long. It was like two plus years. But then there was this marketing side and it was bubbling and showing up but it was showing up so sporadically, but all these little things that we're doing in marketing was driving these better leads out of it, these more qualified people. They were sticking with us. And I was like, wait a minute. This is where we should be spending our time. This BDR program is flat. It's not working. The, frankly, I don't mean this in the wrong way. The young generation that we hired there in that seat, they were a pain in my ass to deal with as a HR and human person as well too, just because they complained a lot and they had a lot of problems. And I'm looking at them going, yo, you're 21. This is where you eat shit in order to make sure you're great in the 30s. This is where you do this, but this is not what you understand because you want entitlement and work-life balance. And I'm like, you didn't sign up for a startup to have work-life balance. But anyways, so here we are uh, in, uh, in 2023 at this point, uh, walking into 2020, wait, yeah, walking into 2023 and we're just, this is not working again. So here we go. I've touched the fire this time in a different way. And I had to make a difficult decision and let a bunch of people in this group go because it wasn't working for me. So I made the decision, I let him go. And at that point is the final time I figured it out and I made a big change in my mentality. I think, I think this is where I say I touch the fire often with things. I touched the fire three times in order to really figure this out and I understood hiring, I understood that. It really comes to two things. I think that product market fit is something that people broadly don't understand until you understand it. It's not just your product and the fact that you could say yes to everything they get on a call. It's an ecosystem acceptance. And that means that other people in the market need to accept you, right? From an agency, the technology side, that has to happen. And the third thing that's really important that I see is there has to be such a positive word of mouth that appears in the market. Product market fit, why it's such a magical thing for most people and why companies die often and startups never succeed is they never hit that magical moment where they're not spending advertising money. All their growth actually becomes through word of mouth and organic growth. And you start seeing a shift in the business. In fact, even our partnership thing, I failed. Last time I thought, we're going to go hire the crack team of partnerships. They're going to be able to break every door down, everyone. But again, we didn't have product market fit. So the agencies would look at us and be like, why would I use you? I'm going to go use this other platform that's better than us. I don't want to risk my client or my own business on you, right? But now they start showing up. Even your partners become inbound. Your technology friends become inbound. Everybody starts becoming inbound. And that's when you start finding it, right? And when I saw that this time, instead of going off and doing the same thing I've always done of go out and hire a ton of people, I said, I'm just going to do what I did best and why some of the things have happened in business. I lead it often in the newest things that we explore. I lead it until I believe that we've got a good, stable foundation and things are working and repeating. And then I hire ICs to help me. And then I eventually replace and hopefully take one of those ICs and make them a leader today. So when I look at this whole story, the very simple thing that I tell most founders is that Whenever you think you have it, you actually don't. It's, it's actually, you, we're so, it's like we're caged back and we're held back so much throughout the process. And we all yearn for such a impactful moment. And we want to hear that magical thing that everybody else, I mean, if you're listening to this pod and you know something about Sendlane and you've seen us in the marketing, you think, I want to be in that magical thing. I want to do this. And I don't know if this is the last magical thing we have, but like, I want to know that you want to do this. Well, that market, it takes time to step up, right? It's a short short six-year story and like us banging our head, doing everything marketing, burning millions of dollars, doing everything from Facebook ads to Google ads to sponsoring everything up to Wazoo to paying influencers. We tried it all, man. And it really, really ended up coming down to the simple fact of just acceptance. And I think product market fit, the thing that I always say is it's not just product market fit, it's also this acceptance period. Just because you have a great product doesn't mean you get acceptance. And that acceptance is something that people just don't understand. Just because you get one or two customers talking about you, it's not right. You have to get into a place 
where when you're walking in to a room, A, it makes sense exactly what we're doing. B, you know of us at some point. And those two things to me have been the most important things. You build the trust barrier because look, what we do, especially in SaaS, is we're basically asking companies to believe in us, give us your money, and get something from us. And really, that's a really big ask. It's not a cheap thing often. It's a big motion. There's a learning experience that comes with it. So in order to build that trust and break that trust down, often it's not from ads or a cold call that's going to build that trust. It's from the market and the behaviors of what they're seeing in the market and being able to know the reviews that you have in the market. And you know, when I look back and I look at this story, I always go, wow, you know, I've never been challenged with this learning of what a product market fit is. My last two companies were all about sheer brute force, right? Pay ads, buy ads, sell product, buy ads, sell. It's e-commerce, right? You're selling. It's, it's like at some level in e-commerce, I can brute force my way to $10 million. I can for maybe the worst product in the world, but you can brute force your way in there. But in order to scale, in order to grow, you can't do that without actually having product market fit. So the failure story is how I touched. And I would say that, as I told you, I have a lot of stories, but that specific story, I can relate back all the way to 2019 and how I continue not to fail. I've had to make the hard choices of a layoff or pushing out departments. I wouldn't even say it was a layoff. I terminated a department and killed the entire department and said, this department doesn't work anymore, right? And now we're slimmer, we're healthier as, as a company. You know, our, our, our strategy is very different where we lead with content and education and even like our upcoming event that, I mean, people will hear about this. Like, you'll see, we don't talk about Sunlane at the event. It will be all content, purely educational. And the reason I do that is through thought leadership and understanding that Sunlane is not here because we just want to make your money. We are here because we want to help empower the, the community to move forward. And empowering the community will automatically give you the good graces back into you. And it's marketing, right? It's really the marketing of, hey, let's not focus on telling them how great we are. Let's focus on telling them how to make their own selves great. And when they're great, they will look at us and give us a shot when they're ready for that opportunity. But they'll always have that in heart. I always laugh. Our biggest supporters in the world aren't even our customers right now. And it's hilarious because they just love the mission. They love what we're doing. They love what we're going out to market and what we're talking about. And they feel like if they support us, that they will get the good karma back. I almost feel like that's why they do it, right? Like, I don't know why else they would do it, but I, I, I love them for everything they're doing for us. But it's, it's amazing. Like, well, they I love see it you. all the time. They love you. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it helps. I mean, that, that helps too. And it's, a, it's been a really great to feel so accepted by the community as well. But, you know, it's the mentality I take, right? I never came in slinging like I'm trying to sell anything. That's never yeah. been my MO. Doesn't work anymore. You know, the the world is uh we like to say this like an advert well, I like to say this in advertising is that the consumer isn't dumb anymore. Right. The days of congratulations, you won a million dollars, put your credit card information in, it's gone. Maybe nope. that's like a exception to the rule. But yeah, you're right. There there were so many good, good things that you said that I'm digesting. I love to write notes whenever I have somebody on the pod that just goes. And I love that you go because I'm like, okay, this is great. And one of the things that stood out to me was just because you have a great product doesn't mean you have acceptance. That rings so true, right? The, the common question I get asked in the place that we are, because just for everybody to know, we officially soft launched in August of 2022. We just celebrated our one year anniversary this August in 2023. And to hear your journey that it's been six years of this. And also it's like part, partial validation and partial like, thank God you said that because I almost went in that direction. Like you learn from your peers, but also the journey is going to be very different for AdBeacon than it would be for Sunlane because as much as it is both SaaS and you're saying people are going to listen to this and be like, tell me the answer. The answer is you're going to have to fail to understand your product market fit. You know, for us, for example, you know, people ask me, why are not more people on your platform? Because we have about 140 people on our platform. I find that to be a huge triumph in a very short amount of time. And they're paying, right? And they stay yeah, with us. huge. What I also learned is that agencies stay with us rather than brands. Why? Because we chose to side with agencies. We chose that that was the way to go because nobody else was doing that and the way that we frame it, right? And we also realized that we retain much better with agencies and we also grow with agencies because they constantly have more onboardings. And then they also recommend it, right? Because the secret sauce is not in how they manage their accounts. The secret sauce is they have a platform that they can actually get profit from. Now, what I meant by all of this is people go, why don't more people know about you? It's like, because I found out what you found out fairly quickly, not to the depth that you did, 
But like, for example, paid advertising, um, we got banned on, we got shut down on Facebook because I called Facebook out, which probably wasn't the smartest move. But again, bullish, I'm bullish. And we were talking about this and the more I started speaking at events and the more I started having conversations with people like Jimmy and talking in the space, it's a popularity contest. The difference is that it's not popular like we were in high school. In high school, you had to be this fictitious popular type archetype, right? Yeah. Now it's being a good person, which is kind of a cool thing. And I know why people are supporting Zenlight. I'll say it out loud. It's because of Jimmy. Jimmy, you have, I would say, the benefit and also the detriment of being the face of the brand right now, mm -hmm. right? Because you see Sendlane and you see a little pop-up of Jimmy's face and then you see an overlay with Sendlane in the back and he's talking. And every time he's talking, he's talking about everything in terms of what Sendlane does, but not in a way where it puts you off. And then when you said you have an event, you're not just talking about Sendlane because the days of just shoving it down people's throats isn't good. It's who you align yourself with will now create this identity of who Sendlane is. So now people are like, I buy into who Jimmy is. Therefore, I know Sendlane is going to follow. And then they ask if the tech is good, which is such a weird concept, right? You were saying that. It's like before. Yeah, but you, yeah, well, you think about it though, right? Phoenix, like you think about it and you think about consumer goods and they always say consumers. I mean, look, we're all consumers at the end of the day. How do we buy? Oh, look at that influencer who did something and they're great and they're buying it. I must want it, right? At some level, we all do yeah. some version of this. And I think that you're right. The world is changing. Business to business is changing. And I think that, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not saying here that I'm creating something new. I don't think I'm doing anything new, but like the world of a face, a company with a face is more important than ever because people don't want to relate. They don't want to buy from just nameless things anymore. They feel like they've been burned in the past buying from large corporations that have no face and they have no idea what it is. And then they screw them over one day, right? We all get that, right? And so when you have that feeling, you're like, hey, I want to feel like I have a more personal connection to the person. And I think part of that, you're right. Like part of it is that I try to go out there and connect with the audience. And, you know, it's probably why I spent so many weeks on the road this year. I go everywhere because my biggest thing is I need to shake everyone's hand in the world. And the more hands I shake, the more it will create business for me. The more COVID you get. Perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Why not? Right. As long, you yeah. know, you were saying the best, the best supporters are the ones that aren't even clients right now. And I feel the same way. Like I'm in these discord chats and they're like, let me help you. I've never met a more helpful space and category of business in my life than I do with D2C e-commerce and even lead gen, but just D2C in general too. And people like yourself and we're rooting each other on. There was someone said something that I thought was really funny. They go, yeah, it's the cool kids club. And I, I am not in the cool kids club and they get very bitter. And I go, it's not hard to get in the cool kids club as long as you are cool. And whatever your definition yeah. of cool is, is important. Cool in my eyes is not self-serving. It's giving more than receiving. It's understanding that you're helping rather than just grabbing money. And you were you nailed it. It's like these large corporations. I don't think, and I apologize if you get offended by this, but it goes back with AdBeacon. I don't think Sendlane would be where it's at if it didn't have a face. Because I agree. now on Twitter, they can go to Jimmy and go, Jimmy, this isn't working. And Jimmy will go, I've got you back. DM me. Let's yeah. talk. Versus just going to a chat bot or tweeting out. Also, it's this weird cultural shift that we've been in. I think a psychological shift, like you were saying, influencers, you go on TikTok, you know, like all the trolls come out, right? And the trolls come out because they don't believe that the person is a real person. They think it's a figure, yeah. right? And it's the same thing with like a Sendlane or an ad beacon. You think it's a figure. You don't think there's somebody behind it. And then you put somebody in front who preaches all these things that starts podcasts to talk about failures rather than talking about attribution, right? Sure. And these things are more important because in the end, if Jimmy decides to create another company, if Jimmy decides to branch off, Sendlane is still a great product, but now we're going to follow Jimmy because we believe in who he is and his mission. And that has LTV, right? That has Correct. that breath that I believe in. So congratulations on building that. I think we very much align. And there's so much I could learn from you. So it's awesome. Yeah. No, thanks. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's been, uh, as I said, it's been a humbling journey. And as much as people think that like we're overnight and just showing up over time, I mean, technically the platform or the vision is 10 years old. So 
it hasn't been a short journey. I, I'm much older than most people think I am. I always laugh about that. I always, everyone always thinks I'm much younger. So it's good. It's the Asian thing. So I, I'll Asian keep don't raisin. Asian don't No, raisin. we don't. Until we do one day when we're 68 and we just fall over and a back's hunch and everything changes. But until yeah, then, I mean, I'll look young. My parent, my grandparents can tell you the same thing. They look so good. No fun. I love them. They're in a home now, but like they're 90 and they look like they're yeah. 70. And I'm yeah. like, what? I, just the other day, I don't know if you saw my Instagram story. I go up to the front, my my house, it's our house. And I go out there and the AT&T service tech is like, hi, um, is your is your mom home? Are your parents home? I'm, like, I'm 30. You're like, Chris, you're like, sir, sir, I own this home. <laughs> you almost like, don't worry, I got, I've had a lot of that. I think now that I look older in that this is not a problem as even in my 20s, I always had the difficult problem where people would be like, you're just, you must be in like 16. And I'm like, oh. you know, you're just like kind of shake your head and you're like, oh, like this sucks. But I am grateful for it now. And I look at it and I think it's the best thing I could have had because as I go into my 40s, into my 50s now, like eventually, like I will still look young. And I, I like that. We so. love that. We love that. Yeah. I love that you touched on because um, you answered both of the failure questions beautifully. It's the you now you got funding. Where are you going to put it? And the mistakes that you made. Right. We touched on it a little bit earlier. I'm glad you continued because it was so much richer when I didn't interrupt. So I love it. When I'm thinking about getting funding, you often go, OK, something's working. Put all the gasoline on it. You're different in the sense that than I am. I'm a little bit more like I want to feel it out for a little bit longer and then I'll push, um, which also could be to our detriment, right? Because you couldn't, you could have scaled so much more. It's kind of like that idea of gambling, right? You go all in or you don't. You have one shot, go for it. When you were talking about how you saw something working and then you, I love the little nod to attribution. When you started to see where the higher quality leads, right? So it's it's volume of traffic and leads versus quality. We always talk about this with lead gen. Do you want quality or do you want volume? And volume doesn't always equate to quality. And then you found quality in social. Now in 2023, which I love that you, this this failure to fire moment is very recent. We're in 2023. So it's not that long ago. It's not. I love that you said that. It makes it so relatable. And I think also honest. But now where you are, and you're understanding that the marketing piece is huge, which is what I believe Triple Whale did extremely well. And I, I tip my hat to Raba every day where I go to, and we're friends. And I ask him, I'm like, we had the same conversation we just had in terms of leads. And how does that even work? And he's like, dude, this space is so different than what we're used to, right? It's word of mouth. It's the halo effect. It's people coming in when, when they're ready for the product, then they latch on. And even though the product might be great, they won't latch on unless somebody else latches on first. Again, it's the handshake. But now that you've kind of honed in this marketing piece, where do you want to pump your gasoline? Where do you feel is the next level for you? So I think that I've barely pierced what I would even say, the veil of like the market. And uh, I'm making a lot of things internally in the companies to get myself out of some of the things that I'm doing today, like all the CEO work I'm doing. I'm trying to backfill the right people. And you know, I'm hiring for this role right now that I hope to be able to basically four times my experience next year of market. And what I mean by that is I want to completely, what I do best, I scale up like crazy. So next year I want to have a team. I want to have more things. I was telling people like, I want to go like do a crazy, like, you know, 20, 30 city thing then in like 30 days and like go meet a ton of people. As I told you, like, I want to go shake everyone's hand. And I want to create hype around the fact that I'm coming to buy you dinner or drinks or whatever. And just come say hi and we'll talk like humans. And I'll never pitch you the entire time. I'll just go ahead. Unless you want to be pitched, I'm going to focus on just learning about you and learning about the community so I can be better for the product, right? So that's that's what I'm focusing on next year. And how I'm going to take this is say, you know what? I know that I'm the marketing engine. I know I'm the face on a personal level. Like makes me unfireable as well when you are the face of the company. And secondly, to your second point is, it's not about the today. It's about my LTV into the future. It's about what I can do. And dude, if I can create a great noise, understanding, and following, the next time I do my next company, because the Sunlane won't be my last company. There will be a day I leave Sunlane. Let's be honest here, right? But when I leave Sunlane, I want to be able to not have to go figure out the product market fit the same way. I would literally go to the audience and say, I'm building this. Tell me what you believe you want. And they will tell me because they're my friends at this point in my community. And I will build exactly what they're asking for. And then I'll be able to go back and say, I built exactly what you're asking for. And now let me know what you think about it. Right. Like I know the playbook next time that's going to be very different for me 
because I'm with you on this, Phoenix. I believe that the world is evolving. And I think in B2B especially, they're all figuring it out. If you look at even the largest companies this month, everyone's now trying to figure out a spokesperson or influencer or a creator, right? They call them creators now, right? The fancy term. I always laugh that they call them creators, but uh, <laughs> it's what people... Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, you want a content creator or whatever you want to call it. But they, they've missed the fact that you can't just be a content creator unless you have a passion behind it. Content creators are that passions are just instructors. They're just teaching you something, but that's truly not moving the needle that way. It's not creating personality and effect, nor is it going to create the effect that people want, right? And I think that's going to be their hard learning to learn. And that's why founders often do that. We're founders. We're not great CEOs. We're not great anythings, honestly. We're great at a vision and idea. And we're relentless with optimism that we're, we think that we're so much smarter than we are. And we go and do things and somehow it works most of the time, right? That's, that's literally what founders are. We're not, we're not the smartest everything. You know what I mean? We just kind of do the things that we need to do. And I recognize that about myself. I don't want to be the one that runs this company forever. I want to be the one that helps influence the company and talks to the market and bees the, is the face of the community. And that's what I'm focusing on right now. And that's what I'm focusing on to 2024. And I'm going to go scale that as well, too, and see what the heck happens. Right? Oh, yeah. So, exciting. Yeah. That's no, that's amazing. That's that's awesome. You know, every time you speak, I go, oh, thank God, I, I think I'm in the right direction. You know, saying is like, as founders, we're not the best at every single role either. And there's also this argument that you're going to go find someone that's better at that role than you are. But then there's also what we just spoke on is, you know, the market best because you breathe and you live it. I'm a media buyer, right? I knew that my time of being a media buyer was limited because there's always going to be a better media buyer. I used to be a professional dancer. There's always going to be better professional dancers out there. Always. There will always be that. And I learned that very quickly. But what are you good at? We're good at building relationships. We're good at communication. We're really good at building um, a community. If you're good at those things and you have a passion behind it, then it, it compounds into something great. I love what you said. I'm going to shake everybody's hand. I'm going to get dinner with them. I don't think you realize this. And maybe you do is you are like literally the American dream embodied in the way that you do business. And it has evolved. So what I'm hearing is, okay, how I grew up is in Chinese business is you take someone out to dinner, you wine and dine them, you get them drunk, right? <laughs> you get them drunk. Yeah. You listen to them. You talk, you never talk about business until the very end. And you fight over the check and you call it a day. And it's almost like a power move, right? But it's really important. You never talk about business because if you talk about business, it's rude and it's in poor taste, right? But then what you did is you evolved and you understood that being there and providing something for people and listening to what they need and supporting them in the weirdest times, calling them on their birthdays and going, hey, happy birthday. No, we're not close, but I hope you have a good one. Um, seeing that there are moments now that we have social media, they have a kid, send them a little something because you truly mean that, not just because you, not because it's the thing to do for Sendlane, because it's the right thing. And merging right. those two worlds together, unstoppable. I think that's a really good that's how I've at least interpreted what you've just said. And I'm sure there's more depth to it, but. There, you know, as much as Phoenix, I like to tell you, there's a lot of depth to it. There isn't that much depth to it. Sometimes right, it's just me being me. That's what it is. I'll be honest, it's like I have a strategy, I have a plan, I have all this stuff and I could talk about that all day. But like the reality was like my core plan and people try to dissect me and ask me for the secret. I said, my thing was to go all in on the community. I'll tell you the one secret right now and I'll give you one data back secret. If you look, I use a tool called blackmagic.so it's my twitter tool blackmagic.so is my twitter tool it like helps me find like like stuff right but the thing i like about it is actually not about using any of the tool i like looking at the reporting that's why i use the tool because it helps me understand the reporting the coolest fact over like every time i notice i do four times more communication and thread replies to people and talking to people in the community than i do posting it's not about the posting so if i do 100 posts I'm doing 400 individual interactions in someone else's thread. And that's what moves the needle. And people always ask me, it's not, it's just freaking sweat equity, dude. Like get in there and talk to them. And eventually you get sucked in that it's so exciting and great that it's not so bad. It's, it's, it's an exciting time to learn about other people's businesses and things they do. I get involved in the weirdest things and I talk about it because I'm like, so what do you mean the shipping container does this? I have no idea what it should, you know what I mean? I have no idea, but I'm curious about it. Because if I understand them, the next time I do get to meet them, I can talk about it with them. Mm -hmm. I can understand it. And I'm going to learn. And that's how we all grow as people, right? So mm -hmm. 
yeah, that that's the that would be my only thing that I say. That would be my only tidbit is like if you want to get social, you want to get in the community, it's not about posting. So don't hire a ghostwriter and think that hiring a ghostwriter and posting four times a day is gonna get that needle moving. Cause it yeah. won't. Yeah, and it's also like there's there's a there's a personality type that is able to do these things too. So if you know you're not that personality type, then just accept that and then find your lane that you do really no, I'm serious. Like if you're not you're good at right, you're hundred percent right. You're not good at public speaking. Don't get up on stage. Like we can work on it for sure. Work on it. And if you think that that's something you want to invest in, sure. If you're just identify what you're really good at and double down. Jimmy is clearly really good at community, good at speaking. You know, those are things that you're good at and double down. Like I said, okay, let's get into the spiciness because we're running up on time and I want to make sure we get to this. What is a hot take for you right now? Go as spicy as you want. Personal, D2C world, whatever you want. Send it, send lane. Hottest take I'll tell you. <laughs> I tell and I tell customers this, so it's it's a hot take, but it's also something I'll say. Switching platforms will not fix your marketing problem. And Damn. why I say that is very simple, is that because you're coming to Sendlane, I'm not going to fix your problem that you might have. Your core of your problem is often your strategy, not your platform, not your tool, and you need to stop blaming other people with it. So my hot take is. Look at yourself and look at your business before you start blaming other things. Tools are not supposed to solve problems. They're supposed to enable you to deploy your strategy. That is it. So if you think your business is shrinking, don't look at our tool and say, the tool is what's shrinking my business. What about the rest of your 20% of your business that's shrinking? Like, look at it. Realize that there's a market change. There's something else going on. And changing your tool from Klaviyo to Sendlate is not going to magically fix that difference, for example, right? So... That's my hot take. I tell people this all the time. I literally will talk to customers and they'll be like, so you think Assembling can help me? And I'll say, absolutely not. We're not going to help you fix your strategy or your inherent marketing problem that you have. I'm going to help you with better support. I'm going to help you with this and that, but I'm not going to help you with fixing your core problem, which inherently is a strategy. So that's my hot take. Don't switch platforms because your marketing strategy is not working or your whatever your strategy is not working. Figure out the core of your problem first and then make the decision to change. Oh, so good. A platform is not meant to save you. It's here to give you insights and to make your life easier. That's really what right. it is. You just said attribution helped you identify things. And then there was a light bulb moment. The, the platform did not just hand it to you and spell it out. You discovered that. I think like, of course, platforms can get better at explaining what a graph means or explaining what this data means. I think we could always improve on that. But I just spoke with a business partner. He's a co-founder. And I was like, hey, you know, we were talking about actually with another another part of our team and he's like, you know what we should do? We should be on every single call helping them with their marketing strategies. I'm like, that is not scalable. Also, the world of Phoenix Haw media buying is not the same as Jimmy's media buying. Also, Correct. asking for a world of hurt because I also feel like if we could definitively showcase a correlation between usage of a platform and rise in performance, we're winning because that's what we need, right? There's no proof behind platforms. It's always just a quote. It's a quote that I saved this or I did that. But I love case studies because we're data people. And I, I, we, we're going back and forth right now internally about how can we have a direct correlation between usage and a rise in performance, whether it be CAC, whether it be NCPA versus CPA metrics or ROAS or MER, whatever those may be. And because you used our platform, these things got better. It's also a dangerous game to play. Because what yeah. if your product is out of stock? What if you don't have great customer service? What if you, there's so many things? What if you have a terrible media buyer? That's what if it. you're not funding enough? So it's, it's always this really hard thing where people go, how are you better? And I'm like, let me just tell you, our mission is better. How we execute is better. How we listen is better. How we design right. is better. And if you align with that, let's go. And I'm starting to realize that more and more. And you had six years of can help everyone. Experience. Yeah, can't help everyone. And you know what? You're either with us or you're not with us. I'm just kidding. Okay, I'll give you my hot take. And we'll end it out. My hot take <laughs> is that hot dogs, hot dogs are the best poor man's meal. And I don't care what you have to say about it. Hot dogs are better than hamburgers. That's kind of my thing. I don't know if you agree with me. I just got off a sales call, by the way, as you say this, with this Wagyu company, and they told me that the best seller was a $35 hot dog. So Hell yeah. I'll buy a $35 hot dog. Okay, I just said poor man's meal, but like, ignore that part. <laughs> just 
I talked like, to send person. me the link. I will buy $35. It's called KC Cattle Company. I'm giving them a, a random plug in the world that I have no idea if Cattle I'll ever company. do anything. But it's called KC with Cattle a K Company. Or a C? With a K. With a K. With a K. Yeah. And they sell a $35 hot dog. Okay. Uh, I have another, used to be a client of mine, a Wagyu window. So y'all, KC and Wagyu, you guys can go neck and neck. But what I will say is, uh, let me bring it back to D2C and we'll round it out is, look, guys. As much as I say a hot dog is better than a hamburger, here's why. A hot dog is accessible. You can walk around with it. Things aren't going to fall out of it like it would a hamburger. Also, it's nostalgic. I just think of all the good memories with my hot dog. And it's the same thing. And it's simplistic and it satisfies the needs, which goes with the SaaS platforms. If we get back down to the root of the issue that brings people happiness in the most simplistic way, all the bells and whistles, they're nice to haves, but the core of it is the nostalgia of a hot dog. So... Brought it back, inspirational, maybe hit, maybe didn't hit or land. Who cares? Jimmy, where can people find you? Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Uh, Twitter or X, well, formerly known as Twitter, you can find me at Yo Jimmy Kim. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. So those are the two platforms I spend most of my time. Look me up, Jimmy Kim. It's pretty hard to find me. It's a pink picture. But yeah, that's where I'm at. I share and spew a lot of information, a lot of good stuff into the market. And I, you know, sometimes I have little funny hot takes, but not as many as yours. But yeah, I'm out there in the market. So please hit me up and DMs are always open. DMs are always open for business. Yes, for, for... business. Correct. <laughs> for cl for clarity there. Yes, DMs are open for back. business. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoyed being on the Fail with Fire podcast. If you guys are on a treadmill and you're like, wow, I really enjoy this. Please, please, please send a message to Jimmy and say thank you. And let us know what you like, what you don't like. Actually, just tell us what you like. I don't want to hear what you don't like. Okay. Thank you. Have a great rest of your week. I'll talk to you guys later.